can remain yeah. anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's 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 um mainly it's mainly just a regulatory thing. I'm sure you're coming across in the uh, um in your uh, launching your phone and whatnot. It's just, and not that I, I, I think anyone within the wolves will like rat on me or anything like that, but you know, there's, there's just if you want to TYA for that for that matter, you know, cover your ass, make sure that you're not saying anything people can interpret the wrong way, and then next thing you know, you're in you know breach of fiduciary duty or something something absurd along those lines. Yeah. I've read through way too many. Um, Way too many like SEC cases <laughs> right. to try and be, I guess, uh, cavalier about. Um, I, I, I guess, and I'm always happy to, you know, I'm always happy to have, you know, conversations with people. I had a, I had a lunch meeting with someone, one of the wolves here in Dallas, not too long ago. Um, and yeah, you know, always happy to, to, to connect people in person. But you know, who'd you um, meet up sometimes with? Sometimes Jack the Set, Jackie Moon. Oh, really? Um, yeah, uh, he was a good, good guy. I just wanted to hear his perspective on, he was an SMU guy. He, he had some good, uh, some good perspective on, on Dallas as a whole and, uh, and all right. that. So, so yeah, it was cool. Um, but yeah, outside of that, you know, I'm always happy to connect with people offline, um, like now or, or wherever it might be and, uh, right. and, uh, and be helpful. So, yeah, well, I, I mean, I appreciate you doing this, man. It's, uh, it's fun cause we're just getting started with it. So we're rolling, um, yeah. You know, uh, I'm trying to just kind of rack up as many interviews as possible right now. Start with yeah. the Wolves base, and then once we really get rolling, uh, you know, then we get to focus on all the, the nitty-gritty stuff, make it look all sexy, and then uh, then just kind of take it from there. But Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, it's meant to be fun, right? It, it's literally just a time for us to catch up, right? Like, we talked on the phone probably, I think it was about a year ago, was like the last time we really caught up and uh, and spoke and. Has it know. been a year, really? Damn, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Yeah, I mean, keeping in touch, man. Right, no, but um, we're we're always bouncing shit off in uh, like in the DMs and stuff. Like if something's really going on, I, I'll hit your line. I'll be like, yeah, well, because we do. <laughs> we each have uh, we've got different perspectives on kind of how we view the market. You know, your your balls deep in. Uh, the traditional markets, right? You're paying attention to everything that is going on as far as like the Fed is concerned, as far as structuring out like a really sound portfolio where I'm more in the boat of, all right, I like my little basket of crypto and I'm going to pay attention to just the charts, right? So, so that's where I think, I, I don't know, man, I think we should obviously talk more about it, right? Because... No, I totally agree. Be, um, right. Like, it's, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, I guess, you know, I, I've, I've just seen possibly every strategy there is known to mankind, and I've seen good returns out of all of those same strategies. So I'm, I'm less, you know, like, to your, to your point, everyone kind of has their own, you know, expertise in the market. I feel. There's, there's different ways you can skim this cat in the market, and it's a market of stock, or at least there's a, there's a joke in our in, in the stock um, side of the financial markets, if you, if you will, is that it's a market of stocks, not a stock market. So you know, the idea is that people have this laser focus on the S and P and the Dow and the Nasdaq, or what's this doing? What's that doing? Right. That's all good and great, but you know, there are some people out there who run some really interesting intricate strategies 
so that for example um ran into one guy at a conference uh lat or earlier this year in miami um, and his fund he specializes on using ai to try to i guess front run uh index fund rebalancing so generally what happens is that when you have, if you buy an s p spy index fund you are getting exposure obviously to the entirety of the s p 500 right okay? um what happens is that typically quarterly the, the investor committee behind S&P Global or whatever the index is, they'll congregate and they'll say, hey, um, you know, this is how the market has moved. Uh, based upon these, these market movements, we're underweight, I don't know, Tesla, we're overweight, Apple, just using examples, and we're uh, seriously underweight, um, I don't know, Microsoft. What, what will happen is that the committee will then say, okay, we're need, we need to buy X amount more of Microsoft in order to get back to target allocation, sell X amount of Tesla to get back to target allocation, yada, 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 yada. So what he tries to do effectively before this meeting even happens, use AI to determine historically what companies have been included or added or uh, expanded in the portfolio, training using that, that training data set and then applying it to, to possible future rebalances. Damn. So, that, I mean, that's just one example of, <laughs> right. you know, one one person who I thought is, wow, you know, I've never really thought to tackle the market that way. It's, it obviously takes a lot more diligence and a lot, I guess, a, a, a unique perspective on how financial markets uh, work and trade and all of that. But, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that there isn't one way to skin the cat. There's, you know, I, I, I like to release myself personally. I like to think of myself as like a a GARP kind of kind of investor growth at a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just kind of like I like the the Buffett mentality of you know you, you got a punch card. You don't have to necessarily trade everything. There's a lot of noise out there. Right. Um, and trying you know you don't have to always trade that. If you can find good companies, buy them at good prices and hold on to them for the rest of your working career, and you'll do okay for yourself. Um, Come, come down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's kind of where I sit, but, you know. That, I always love to talk markets and all that. Right. The S&P strategy that you just talked about is very interesting. Are you saying that these guys are essentially just taking all, like, the entire basket of the companies in S&P and basically balancing it in their own way based off of what the AI is telling them? Because the S&P 500 is, is just an, an aggregation of 500 companies, correct? Yeah, but, but I guess what what this strategy aims to kind of uh, kind of capitalize on is identifying these opportunities where maybe the market is not pricing in the fact that hey, this company that, that hey, you know, the biggest index fund in the U.S. is going to add about two percent of this company to their portfolio. Right. So typically that. So the, the the strategy themselves, they're not taking like an S and P index, like a they're not, they're not trying to hug the index, if you will. They're mostly trying to find, hey, you know, just thinking of an example, um, Intel, Intel Corp. You know, the, the, the S, we we think the, the S and P committee is going to add a big uh, allocation in the, in the next meeting, so we're going to buy calls, we're going to buy the underlying shares, something like that. Okay, um, gotcha. I'm not an investor in the strategy, but no. uh, I just found, I, I've heard of similar things like that and found it really interesting. Right, yeah, it's, a, it's absolutely interesting because it's, while it is focused on one particular indice, you know, it is, it's still finding inefficiencies in the market and capitalizing yeah. on those 
based off of what their AI is telling them to do as well. So it's adding the, yeah. the, the computer component, but still having like this their own view on, on how they are able to find that inefficiency and capitalize. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, that's another thing that I've come across. There's a lot of discretionary managers, people who are saying, hey, I think this is a good stock to buy, or hey, I think this is a great token to buy. And they, based upon their due diligence and their conviction in the trade, they'll go ahead and, and move forward in that position. There's also, again, those systematic guys who are saying, hey, I don't give two shits about what happens in the market. Right. But the computer is saying, the computer's saying this is an anomaly and it's saying we should buy. Yeah. And again, you know, <laughs> there, there, are, there are so many funds out there and so many different strategies. It really is up to the people running the strategies as to whether or not they work. So I think, you know, I, <laughs> I, I love, I uh, always love to hear, hear everyone's kind of, uh, um, I guess two cents of the market. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was, it's funny you say that is because it, yeah, there are, there's a bunch of AI out there now, right? There's algorithms that are running a bunch of strategies, but I, I'm recently re-listening to uh, Ray Dalio's principles and he talks about how, yeah, they were able to hone in on this strategy that was computer generated, but he's, he's still the one behind the, the trades, right? Like. There is this value of the, the human aspect and the the human imagination that cannot be programmed into the, the AI or these algorithms that when you put that extra touch on it, right? Like you're able to complement the computers with the human mind. And that's a force exactly. that is basically unstoppable, right? If you actually fully understand your model that you've built out, and you know how it works, you know, maybe it takes profits too early and you can hang on to it a little bit longer, then, you know, might as well just keep the AI and the, the buying and the selling completely separate from one another, but then just use it as a tool to, to evaluate the markets. No, of course. I think that's, that's absolutely something I've seen. I've been seeing that a lot in terms of, um, you know, other money managers, who, whether they onboard some sort of service that has AI driven insights or they just have maybe data scientists on their team that put something together like that. It's, I mean, that's something I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at a lot as well from an investment perspective is the growth of AI and how AI, AI is today, or I guess AI changing so rapidly that even today is so much more impressive than it was last week. I'm not sure if you've, um, Right. And cut off the speed on GPT, GPT-3 uh, and other things like that. But, you know, um, OpenAI just released a new feature where you can effectively type out a scenario and they will produce a, a virtual image that matches that scenario. It's absolutely <laughs> mind-blowing. What? You can have something. I swear to someone, someone tested it out. They said, um, imagine, or please paint a bunny rabbit. Uh, dressed as a detective, wearing a bowler hat, sitting on a park bench, and they did four different versions of it and four different artistic, artistic renditions, if you will. The, com the computer, the, the computer generated that. The computer generated that. They, that's so, funny because I've seen um, what, what's the name of like the YouTube show where the kid, the guy is like, it was like the yes, the yes theory. Okay. These guys got their hands on an AI and it was like, they had to do whatever the AI randomly generated them and told them to do. And it, what the AI had in, inputted into it was 
Um, it was like a script of every single show that they've ever done. So this thing was telling them like, yeah, go to uh, Scotland and ask somebody there to switch lives with you for like a week. <laughs> and so somebody did that there and then they did it so, like somewhere in Texas as well. And so wow. they, so yeah, they like, just, they just, they randomly generated the idea for their show from just the computer. So it's exactly what you're talking yeah. about where they're, they're able to just do just about anything nowadays. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something I just find really fascinating. I think we're only really beginning to unpack the, uh, the, the value inherent in that kind of technology. Yeah. Uh, who, who is you know, it? Musk, Musk yeah. is the one that says, uh. That AI is is ten times more dangerous than nuclear bombs. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't dug into you know like uh, to be quite honest, I, I'm I'm not I, I haven't dug into the uh, I've certainly read about the, the, the Terminator and the you know the all yeah. <laughs> right the sci-fi um, kind of applications of AI. Um, I, I try to be a, a bit more optimistic on it. I, I do think that you know there's certainly a risk there. You know? Right. Um, With anything, we're in, yeah, we're I, I guess in the second pitch of the top of the first inning of AI. If you want to really put it on a baseball game scale, um, so really, you know, it's hard to really I guess estimate or uh, ex- anticipate what what risks there are to AI right now. But I definitely think there is, you know, that's something that will emerge as this technology gets more mature. Dude, I'd almost say we're even earlier than that. I I think we're in like, I think we're in the the same boat as crypto where we don't, we haven't even seen the rule book get created yet. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody really knows the true capabilities of either bucket, right? So it's, how do you write a rule book for something that you don't completely understand yet? And I'm, I'm in the boat too, where, yeah, I'm op- optimistic on what we can do with AI as far as like healthcare is concerned, right? They, um, yeah. As far as crime is concerned, you know, it talks about that we can predict crimes before it's even happening. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic there, but you know, you come back to the, uh, the, the Terminator model and it's like, okay, well, we're gonna program these things to improve our lives and you know the, and improve the earth but what's the greatest threat to the earth you know exterminate the human beings <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as long as we don't make something that's being fed that information i think we're in the clear but you know it, it, it's a dicey game to get involved with no i, I think you're right I, I guess to that to that point you know now that now that you mention it AI is being used in China nowadays to facial recognition software. Yeah. Effectively, what facial recognition software is, is AI on visual images. Right. So, so things like that, and frankly, uh, Palantir, which I've, I've written about a handful of times in the Discord, um, Palantir's also caught some flack in, amongst uh, public interest groups and things like that because they are helping law enforcement and uh, military organizations like that yeah. leverage AI to, I guess, be better at their jobs, uh, which is a, a generalistic statement, obviously, but, you know, the concern there being that, you know, AI is being used from law enforcement to wrongly, I guess, incriminate people or something along those lines. Again, that's, that's a, that's a, 
slippery slope. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a <laughs> dicey future. game to to walk yeah. up to someone and say, hey, uh, yeah, this computer is telling me that you were thinking about committing a crime. Uh, you're gonna have to come with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the movie, but isn't there a movie like that, pre-crime or something along those lines? I do like know. Like an which... old sci-fi movie. Yes, I, I think I know what you're, you're talking me. about. Is it Total Recall? No. Maybe, maybe it is. Um, but Minority yeah, Report. Minority Report, that's what it is. Yep. Good call. Good call. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling. I'm I'm like Joe Rogan and Jamie right now. Like, if, if there's something that we actually can't figure out, I got to Google this shit. <laughs> Bring it up. Pull it up. <laughs> and keep the show that's just great. flowing. Power <laughs> of the internet, man. Power of the internet. Yeah. No, it's wild. Uh... Big fan, big fan. Um, I, I wanted to ask uh, how you really got started with the markets because I know it's it's really shaped where you are today, right? Like, I, I know you have a decent background uh, as far as like your jobs are concerned, as far as uh, what you got internships for in college. So if you want to like kind of just walk back to like where where it first sparked your interest. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I've always kind of been fascinated with markets as a whole, whether it be housing markets, um, you know, eBay, that's, that's effectively a marketplace if you want to think of it that way. Um, right. And in my early, my early uh, years of, I guess, learning about the market, I, I was a bit, you know, I remember I was introduced to by my parents and we bought some shares of Disney. And I was like, this is awesome. I, I own shares of a company, I, you know, I kind of, there's a, there's a big, I guess, gap there between me actually thinking how cool it was to own shares of a publicly traded company to actually saying, hey, people actually have careers surrounding stuff like <laughs> um, following, trading, researching public companies. Right. Like so this is what, what they do every day. Yeah. People, yeah, there's an entire sub-economy surrounded by you know, the financial market. Um, so uh, probably around, uh, I'd say high school or so, I got really into just like the economy as a whole, understanding, you know, macro trends, understanding policy and how that influences uh, certain incentives and certain outcomes. And then ultimately come college, that was when I really kind of dug in, into um, my personal investing. Freshman year of college, my, my grandmother passed away, and she left me a, a small, um, small, uh, uh, I guess, saving account, if you want to call it that. Right. Um, Did she leave you some bonds? It was, kind of, it was <laughs> yeah. So I, it was. I got some some Series E bonds. No, no like shit. Really? From, yeah. So like, I had. I got. You know. So it, it was. Small sum, but it was uh, big enough for someone who was a freshman in college. So I was like, "This is awesome!" Right. So, downloaded Robinhood before Robinhood was really kind of the the terror it is today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, it just kind of started pumping around certain names. Um, and back then, that was this is 2015 or so. So I mean, market market's doing fine. Uh, a lot of the tech names that I liked back then, um, you know, they were just getting started and things like that. So. But you know, I, I was I was frankly an amateur. I, I guess you know I still think I'm I would I'd qualify myself as someone who's still learning the markets. Right. 
Um, Isn't that funny? <laughs> like I, I've, yeah, you know <laughs> I've been in crypto for almost half of crypto's lifetime, and I'm still uh, like, yeah, I'm I'm still just getting a fucking grasp on this. You know, like there's yeah. there's something new that's happening every single day. Like crypto is starting to decouple itself a little bit from traditional equities, so it's yeah, it's been wild to watch that because I was thinking that everything was going to just kind of be tied together after the institutional money got involved there. But yeah. yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. But no, you're right. I guess to your to your credit, you know, the best investors that are that I've read and that I've listened to, and even people I start, I work with now, I've been in the industry for forty years or so. They always say you got to always be learning new things, always be willing to change your viewpoint on things. You know, if you anchor yourself to one viewpoint and refuse to ever to move from that, I think that's that's a recipe for disaster. And you'll see that in a lot of these, I guess, famous fund managers. You know, right. one of the impressive things I think about Warren Buffett is that Warren Buffett's been doing it for 60 years now. There's nobody else yeah. that's been doing it and has this similar kind of performance over the last 60 years. Um, I grew up, you know, he's lagged the S&P probably since mid-2015 or so. But again, it works. It, it works. And he's, he's making, I guess, market returns without any of the risk that is found from the S&P, if you will. Because again, the S&P, it's about, I, I want to say 30 to 40% just fat. So your Apples, Amazons, Facebook, Google, Tesla, I guess now. So I don't know. I think it's fat man if you want to include Tesla. We're <laughs> into the acronyms there. That's fair. Um, I think we get, I, it's safe to throw it in there now. Yeah, actually, yeah, Fat Batman includes both Tesla and NVIDIA as well. Because the original was Fang, was Facebook, Apple, uh, Netflix, Google. And then the last couple of years really kind of propelled these, uh, I don't know, and both Tesla and NVIDIA, I would qualify as hard tech because it's it's an industrial process with a manufacturing process involved, even though NVIDIA, I want to say, is fabulous. Um, but again, those are two of those companies that are, I guess formulating and building the frameworks of the future. If you want to, if you want to really get into the futurist perspective of uh, of tech investing, right? Um, what's uh, What's your outlook on Fat Man for the next year and a half, two years? That's a great question, man. Honestly, it, there's all such different companies, and I think they have. To your earlier point about decoupling, I think they have all pretty much decoupled from um, from one another. You know, I think over the last year. It was, Fading Facebook had, would have been a, a very good bet up until um, fading Facebook would have been a great bet. I guess starting in uh, summer of last year, taking it up until you know this last month or so. Right. Uh, Google is the same story. Google doesn't necessarily have a lot of the headwinds that's evident in Facebook's business model with the IDFA and um, and I guess kind of the antitrust surrounding their their subsidiaries. But again, Google is is trading much cheaper than, than uh, other companies in that fat man um, cohort. And, you know, people are kind of perplexed as to why it's so cheap and why it hasn't really been performing with the Apples and the Microsofts of the world. As I think, as of right now, the Apples and the Microsofts of the world are kind of stepping a step, taking a step ahead of the rest of the pack, in my opinion. Um, now, I don't know if that's necessarily a function of flows in the sense that people are saying, hey, you know, I don't want to put part of my money in a, tre- in a, in a treasury that's going to be worth, worth 
quarter of what it is, or I'm going to be yielding, you know, right now, if you, if you want to lock up your money for a long time, you get two and a half percent on a 10 year US 10 year treasury, or you can put park your money with Apple or Microsoft have the optionality of upside there appreciation, as well as a, I don't know, a buck and a half dividend. Right. So you're getting a competitive yield if you want to factor in the, the risk element of of investing into a Microsoft and an Apple. But you're, I, I'm really starting to see those two companies trade like a 10-year treasury, trade as a, as a safe haven asset, um, which for multiple reasons, you know, no stocks are ever, you know, stocks are at, at no point are ever safe in my opinion, um, despite how impressive or how large the corporation is. You know, you always have the risk of a 25 to 50% haircut on your position. Um, so that's one thing that I, I'm, I am, you know, People have been concerned about it for a while, but that's something I'm, I'm, I'm noticing. I'm, one thing is that you, you don't want too much concentration in just a handful of names, obviously. And one reason I think is, is concerning from Apple's perspective is the Apple App Store. The Apple App Store is an unbelievable business, and that's the reason why Warren Buffett bought Apple in yeah. 2013. It's because it's because of the marketplace. No, <laughs> it's a marketplace. It's a marketplace first and foremost, and secondly. It's also, it's a toll road because what happens on the app store is that every time you buy membership from Spotify or if your kid buys something from Roblox or anything along those lines, Apple's taking 30% of that cut. And 30. this is what 30% of that cut. So your gross margin at the, at the highest can be 70% if all, of your, if all of your revenue is generated through the app. Right. So, and this is actually, this is what Epic Games went to court with them over. I don't know if you, if you were, if you recall this or if you were following at all, but Epic Games is the parent company of Fortnite, and Fortnite effectively took themselves off of the Apple App Store for half a year, almost a full year, uh, because they said, hey, you know, we want to support mobile gaming, um, we want people, our players to be able to play wherever they are, not just front of a TV or wherever. Yeah, but the business However, model doesn't make sense. <laughs> exactly. And, and there was a way, and I think this is still being contended, but Fortnite was saying, Epic Games was saying, hey, what if we just get our players to buy their stuff outside of the App Store? They can still play the game and download it through the App Store. But if they want to buy V-Bucks or whatever, you, know, you got to buy in Fortnite nowadays, um, you got to do it through some third-party website. But right. regardless, so that's, that's still kind of being chucked out in court right now, I want to say. I understand that following Apple, I guess, actually, they, they won the lawsuit over Epic Games. So Epic Games is back on the App Store, uh, and you can still buy things through there, and Apple still takes a 30% cut. However, the judge did say that the 30% big, if you will, is far too high for the business to make any sense. Um, or I guess for the business to remain compliant within antitrust and other sort of um, regulations like that. Right. So that's one thing I'm really interested in is that how, and this is something I think a lot of people in crypto are trying to circumvent, um, is how do you get around these middlemen, if you will? Um, you know, how, how do you disrupt the inherent business models to unlock economic value trapped in, I don't know, a 30% apps that were made, if you will. Right. Well, so, I mean, when you're talking strictly about Fortnite, right, those V-Bucks are essentially their own cryptocurrency. So they've already, yeah. in a sense, bridged that gap to making the users 
uh, privy to it, right? They had, they're, they're used to owning something that is not the U.S. dollar and already interacting with it. And now I believe they're, you know, with the skins and everything, that those are NFTs. So now we need a company that is able to bridge all of these Ethereum-based NFTs where you can now dress up your Fortnite characters in the NFTs. So if you want to, or you could, if you wanted to be like the Board Ape Yacht Club, right? They just launched their own metaverse where you need to own the Board Ape in order to get in. So like we're we're seeing that fundamental change, but in order to like completely bring the bring it all full circle, um, you know, I don't think that new games are going to be able to outshine things like Fortnite, right? There's there's just, it's not going to happen. They already have the user base. Um, and then things like social media platforms, you, you see people embarking on trying to create a decentralized social media platform. Uh, I, I don't think that the users are going to come off of Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, right? That regardless of how many problems they have at the surface. So, you know, what, what comes next for that? Uh, you know, Twitter needs to open its code. It needs to become open source, so right. So, and I believe that the the play that Musk just made on that is going to potentially be exactly what their next step is, um, or else, or else nothing really even happens. Honestly, like I, I think that Twitter can basically keep doing whatever the hell they want, uh, even though people are just going to be pissed off. Like I would love to go to another platform, but no one's going to be able to acquire that user base because it's next to impossible in order to get masses to just move platforms like that. So yeah, they're, they're working in the right direction, uh, but yeah, I, I just don't know. It, you know, like I, I think Apple, to your point, um, it, they can take whatever the hell they want. They've got the best lawyers in the world. Um, they, you know, they, they, they have everybody reading the terms and the conditions and signing off on that. So, <laughs> right, everybody's basically signing their own death wish to say, yeah, do, do with my data as you will. And uh, I want access to all of your users. So I'm willing to give you 30% of the cut of whatever we do. So where there's inefficiency, though, there's opportunities. So I, I do hope that you know, some of these crypto companies can bridge that gap. Yeah, no, I think I think you're you're onto something there. And one thing I, I guess to highlight is, you know, the reason why the Twitters and the Facebooks and the, the, the Apple stores, uh, the, the App Store, I should say, can I guess levy the power they do today is because they have this enormous network effect of the platform being there. You know. Um, you go to Twitter not because it has the best UI or it has the best management or the, or, or whatever for that matter. You go there because everyone else is there. Right. And so I, I guess one of the biggest obstacles in this push to decentralization, one thing actually I, I did want to highlight is that Twitter has an open source protocol called, called Blue Sky. Right. That's launched um, uh, and, and they're hoping, you know, that, that was a pioneered by Jack Dorsey. Um, Parag, I want to say is, is, is his first name. I, I totally butchered that probably. But he's also, from what I've read and understood, he's also an ally of the decentralized movement. And 
last week, just joined the board earlier this week, and also an ally of that movement. So I'm curious to see if they actually make any action on brand. And I'm not sure how it would work from an economic standpoint, but because you have centralized Twitter above here, as well as the Blue Sky Protocol, which can be utilized by anybody. So right. I mean, how much of that do you think is just a uh, publicity stunt? You know, like, hey, yeah, look, we're working on it, but it's like it's yeah. off over here. It's almost a separate entity in and of itself. You know, what the work that needs to be done is within the original Twitter platform. Open that up, uh, allow anybody to see what's inside, and you know, you can do that after you clean it up a little bit, but at the same time, I don't think they're gonna wanna do that because there's some malpractice that's going on behind the scenes. Sure, sure. No, I think it's fair, you know, there's something that, um, yeah, there is there is that I guess innovators dilemma of you know do I lean into the core product and the platform or do I try and start something new to remain competitive in the, in the generation ahead? Um, and I think you know given the last couple of years, given the kind of stuff public CEOs are willing to pull in order to kind of I guess add a add some some tailwind behind their share price, it wouldn't surprise me if they totally you know, paper this by end of this year and say, you know what, we're, we're keeping Twitter, Twitter as it is and, you know, like it or leave it. Uh, right. That, that, would, that would not surprise me either. No, um, not at all. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I guess touching upon something you mentioned earlier is, is you know, this interoperability of these centralized platforms with the centralized protocol. Um, that's something there, there's no, I guess, glue that is connecting those two um, verticals of the internet together. And I think that's, that's whoever can do that can unlock an unbelievable amount of economic value and will themselves be a very wealthy person. So I look forward to meeting, hopefully meeting whoever can invent something like that down the road. Right, that's, that's where I think that, you know, a lot of the companies that we already have today, the, their, their growth and their trajectory is, is already solidified, like Apple, Facebook, Amazon, all of these companies. But where I personally think that one of the biggest opportunities is in the metaverse. Um, I, I don't believe that there's one company that has taken the cake there yet. So, uh, you know, first mover advantage, you know, there's companies like Sandbox that they've got a lot of users on there right now, but at the same time, it, something else could pop up that could be extremely attractive for people to hop into. Uh, could there be multiple metaverses that people are using? Absolutely, right? Like, uh, Grand Theft Auto is essentially a metaverse in and of itself. They could just take the next step and allow their users to actually own the property that they're in and make the world a, a little bit larger. So uh, that's an opportunity for them. I don't know if they even would, would have anybody working on that because it just took them about a decade to release the next version of Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> but at the same time, that's, that's a company that already has a user base, right? And they, that's, a, that's an opportunity that's just staring them in, in the face. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mention that because whenever I, I, I so I'm also I'm, I'm bullish in the metaverse without without I guess going into any specifics on that I'm bullish in the metaverse as a whole um, and people always give me pushback in the metaverse and I think the metaverse as a whole is kind of 
hit meme status at, at certain points because uh, just the, all the, the hype around it and all that. Right. But I do think that, you know, there's, I always laugh because people push back, like the metaverse, if they really think people are going to spend all day online talking to each other, doing nothing like this. And I, I laugh. I'm, I'm like, we already I, do I beg you. <laughs> yeah, one, we already do it. And two, I beg you to go on YouTube and look up GTA 4, GTA 5 is this one, right? Yeah. GTA 5 role playing game. Mm -hmm. And there are people who just play GTA 5 all day long. And just screw around. Like, yeah, just like a barista. Right. Just like go to work and they'll make coffee for people <laughs> in Grand Theft Auto. Which is fine, you know, like, uh, everyone has hobbies and I'm happy and people are, are staying busy and like this and whatnot. But the idea that people are fully, uh, or I guess people are, are going to dismiss the idea of, you know, digital experiences off the bat, I think is ludicrous. I think digital experiences are pretty, pretty, you know, abundant right now. Um, and the, the next, the next, I guess, frontier or the next phase of that evolution is how do you really kind of immersify or immerse yourself in these experiences that's something that whether it be um so I, I guess if you want to get the idea of virtual reality as a metaverse or as a as a um as a channel to the metaverse you know like with the existing technology for vr it's an interface is a headset and the headset is you know, the headset, you're seeing some pretty strong traction from, you know, Facebook's, um, or Meta, I should say now, their, yeah. their Oculus, or their Quest device has, has seen some pretty strong traction. Uh, there's that other one, there's someone in the gaming arena, formerly owned by PlayStation, also making headsets with also similar decent traction, although those are much more expensive than the Oculus headsets. But the bottom line is that generally people don't want to put on headsets in order to, you know, same reason why I don't want to put on a mask and to go into a restaurant and hang up my friend. Right. You know, like, yeah, I want to have a personal experience where I can see people and kind of reflect upon their facial expressions and, you know, have this familial connection that is really hard to get virtually. And people have, have built really strong uh, online relationships without, I guess, um, in spite of the the hurdles and the, I guess, lack of personal personability on digital experience. I mean, but I think lo that look at what we're doing here. Exactly. <laughs> right? We've never met yeah, in person. Is, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, and, th and this is the next phase. If this was 10 years ago, chances are we'd be doing this on like a conference call. Right. And I wouldn't be able to see your face. And, you know, we probably would have been, been speaking over each other the entire time. Like, I can't. I can't see your clips and I can't tell what you're about to speak. Exactly. So I think the next phase of the metaverse and what will really kind of unlock the next market or unlock new users, if you will, is this idea that, um, you know, whether it be things that you wear on your wrist or maybe it's on your ear or something along those lines that can, I guess, reduce the friction inherent in um, entering these kind of these environments. Yeah. And I mean, that's where I think... Uh... You know, you see Google and Apple coming out with products where um, it's, it's the glasses, right? It's But that's kind of more virtual reality, but there could be a way that is linking up uh, a metaverse to there as well. You know, if you can be yeah. online and connected to a metaverse while you're still in the real world and being able to almost overlay 
the, the real world as said metaverse. Again, like yeah. this, this shit's so far. Yeah, it's so far behind, like beyond me <laughs> right now. You know, like there's there's so many opportunities that you can't have. One of which, I mean, I would love to have uh, like virtual conferences and meeting rooms, right? In just like our own metaverse. So one of the things that I've thought about with the wolves is kind of bringing everybody together. Um, you know, it could be like a once a month, once a quarter, uh, or just throughout the day. Like if somebody wants to, is online all day long and wants to hop into the Wolves metaverse and just communicate and interact with everybody, then you'd be able to do that, right? You'd be able to sit down at a table and have a conversation with somebody privately. Or, you know, yeah. then just kind of build off of that. It's, it's taking the human connection I believe to, to the next level, you know, we are online, we are able to type out things and you can hop on a video call like this, but the, the next level to this is us with the VR headset on sitting down at a table and actually like interacting with one another and, and screwing around like that. Now, yeah. w- what you can do to make that a little bit more personable is, I know there's companies now that are sparking up where you can scan people's bodies. I, I know it's like the people are doing it for like clothing. I, mm-hmm. I, I forget the name of the company, but one company just got had like a huge raise for uh, for virtual or for AR clothing. So you can essentially just try on outfits virtually with yourself up, like wearing the clothes and then decide whether or not you like something. So I think that could be a direction that it heads in. I mean, granted, you can do whatever the hell you want with it, right? As long as you have somebody to build it, that's the only problem. Because <laughs> those no, de- I, those developers are in high demand right now. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's another thing I'm thinking. Um, trying to tether the current talent pool. And I guess this is another thing in regards to um, the future adoption of crypto projects and other things like that. Is that you know solidity as, as a language is, is relatively new, um, and so it's not as well or not as widespread in terms of um, in terms of skill sets as, as much as, as as an R or a Python or a SQL or something along those lines. Right. Um, and I think you know, and solidity. From what I, I, I don't know, I, I'm not familiar with solidity as a language, but from what I understand. It's, people are teaching themselves on YouTube, so it's certainly something that is it's doable. Pick up, um, it's doable. So, but I, I'm willing to believe that a reason why maybe a lot of the blockchain infrastructure isn't there today, like as we were talking about earlier, in terms of inter- interoperability and things like that, is because the learning curve, the adoption curve for these new technologies um, is a bit steep. You know, so I think at what point do you hit that hockey stick? Part of the uh, part of the, of the growth curve. That's when you start to really see, you know, a lot of these amazing innovations kind of kind of um, kind of make emerge, if you will. Um, so, I, and back to your point on the, on the AR VR side, you know, I think that's that's where we are now. You know, we have we have the demand, we have the community, we have people who are willing to spend time with one another in person. But I think really the, the next the next frontier is. You know, if we are in a virtual conference, I want to be able to shake your virtual hand and feel it when right. I, in my actual hand. And yeah. I think we're, we're not that far off from that. I think 
Exactly. Five if, ten years. if we're going to do this whole uh, work from anywhere thing, uh, I'm, I'm all well and good with it, but there is still yeah. a human connection side to, to doing business with people where I want to be able to like look you in the eyes, shake your hand and like be able to close a deal virtually. Right. Yeah. So like I, I draw the line personally on like a day to day thing that we'll be using at like the, the AR VR. Of course. You know, because the metaverse does, it starts to get into uh, a little bit matrixy, like, just <laughs> let, let me throw the headset on and throw a feeding tube in my mouth and I will just fucking sit on this thing all day long, 24-7. And, like, you, you basically, again, but to your point of, fuck, what was it? Uh, it was uh, it was gaming. It was, like, if, if people want to just be a Starbucks barista in the metaverse all day, they just let them. If that's how they want to choose to spend their life, go ahead and let them. So if if people want to live in this metaverse matrix all day long, why don't we just let them? Who are they hurting, right? They're not hurting anybody but themselves. Then just let them just go on and be in the metaverse all day. Hook up the feeding tube, (laughs) right? Hey, it sounds yeah. weird to even like bring it up, but I, we can all see it heading in that direction. That's an extreme version of it. And then there's what we're talking about, where it's like I want to conduct business in the metaverse and be able to meet anybody in there. No, of course, I think you're totally right. And you know, I, back to our earlier point of discussing you know, the risks of AI. I read a ton of sci-fi. I read a ton of um, comic books and things like that. That's my guilty pleasure. Isn't that the uh, best thing the to read at uh, at night? Is like sci-fi fiction, uh, right? It's like good for your brain. Yeah, it helps your mind wander, man. Yeah, it's really, it's really nice. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've read a hand. There's there's three books that come or two books that come to mind when thinking of uh, the metaverse. One of them obviously is um, the Ready Player series, Ready Player One and Two. Oh yeah. And the second one being uh, Snow Crash. Snow Crash actually invented the term meta- metaverse, and kind of um, is, is much more dystopian than the uh, Ready Player series. But in all of those books that I've read, you know, it, it's very clear that one of the major risks of this technology is the fact that people are spending way too much time on others. They're, they're getting, you know, especially when we get into the, I guess, the centralized nature of these, these, these platforms, people are doing some really fucked up things on the platform. Right. So that's, that's again, you know, not to, to go down that rabbit hole in particular, but, um, you know, I just think that's something that uh, I've always found interesting and something that will probably be a topic as this technology evolves once again. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, there's no matter how <laughs> how long humans exist, like, there's always going to be fucked up people in this world and you can't stop them from doing mm-hmm. fucked up things. Like, it's just something yeah. that we have to accept and something that we have to move forward with. So, yeah, completely get that. Uh, you want to you wanna hit a uh, lightning round? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Um, favorite asset for 2022 and favorite asset longer term. Wow. Okay. Um, favorite asset for 2022. Is that like an asset class or is that like any specific asset? Uh, I would go, yeah. It doesn't matter any asset class that you want to do, but I would like try to narrow it down to a specific ticker that somebody could purchase. And you could say not financial advice afterwards if you want to. 
thinking I'm, I'm, a, I'm a secular beneficiary of this macroeconomic turmoil, I think railroads are a great place to be. I, def, I agree with that, and on the front where our public transportation is lacking so much, I think that the railroads can be utilized for, you know, bullet trains, right? Like, if you, if you go over to China, you can get anywhere in that country in a, in a matter of hours, right? So it's like, if we could build that out as well, on top of being able to ship things quicker and more efficiently, then it's something that the government should be looking at and they should actually be funding. But, it, so you're, you're thinking that this is the year that it might come out where we're, we're going to start investing into that and start picking up railroads and bringing that back I, into I the equation? I actually, I actually think the opposite. I, I, think, I think we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to build any additional rail, railways, at okay. least for the foreseeable future. Um, we're not building additional railways because people don't like things being built in our backyards, and it's a very American um, instinct. And one thing, and I, but I, I ultimately agree. You know, I, I'm a big train guy. I'm from New York originally, so I used to take train to the city pretty often. And I love the convenience factor of being able to do things while I'm traveling somewhere. Right. Um, I, but I'm I'm skeptical of the idea that uh, passenger rail is is going to be. Uh, a trend for at least 2022. I think with regards to freight rail and things like that, the reason why it has that net mode this year is because, again, people don't want um, Union Pacific building railroads in their backyard. Yeah, uh, which again, uh, yeah, I don't blame. I don't blame. You know, it's loud. It's ugly. It's not fun. Right. Typically carrying like coal or something like that. Um, but, but, but I, I, to your other point, you know, I do think that passenger rail and investing in the passenger rail would be an enormous, enormous investment and a really good out, outcome uh, if the U.S. government were to, were to prioritize that. Um, yes, because I think we need it. I, yeah, going going back to, I forget who I was listening to it then. They had a very interesting thesis on blocked value, like things that we can't necessarily act access now because there's some constraints in the way and one of one of those things with block value i thought was time you know when you when you travel you burn so much time kind of doing nothing if you're on a, if you're driving you're driving a car which obviously you're traveling from point a to point b but if someone else were to be driving the car you could be on your laptop you right be, um writing a letter i don't know there's a handful of different applications or different activities you could you could be doing um, if you didn't have the constraint of, hey, I need to operate some motor vehicle for the next 500 miles, so I'm, I'm effectively out of the office. You can't, I'm, I'm, I'm preoccupied here. So, I, yeah, so I think to your earlier point, there are, there, there can be enormous economic value unlocked in providing um, advanced modes of transportation. Yeah, absolutely. So, how about your longer term one then? Longer term? Um, Decade plus. Long term, decade plus. Uh, I guess, uh, let's think. I, I really, really, really love cybersecurity companies. I'm trying to wrap my head around the valuation today because you look at the set of the, the legacy, uh, legacy cyber companies. You know, you, you think of the McAfee's, you think of um, your Splunks and things like that. They're not as punchy when it comes to valuation as, say, your Sentinel Ones, your Z Scalers, your Cloudflares, things like that. 
Um, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around those kind of names because, you know, traditionally the, the, the conventional economic thought or, or I guess financial thought would tell us, hey, you're buying this cybersecurity company at 40 times forward sales. So if a company is worth $8 billion, you're paying 300 uh, or, yeah, sorry, if the company is doing $8 million in revenue, you're paying $320 million for that name. This is a, a math example. Right. Um, um, but I, I guess my, 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 my curiosity there is, you know, there are tailwinds to this, this market. There are tailwinds, whether it be, you know, the fact that the proliferation of the endpoint, the endpoint being laptops, phones, um, a Fitbit, uh, AirPods, things like that, things that are, you know, accessing the internet using uh, using data that aren't necessarily on-premise, they, they, they describe it. Okay. Um, so that's one sector I'm really interested in. I'm also just really interested in the semiconductor space. I just think that's a really fascinating business to be in. I think we're starting to see, um, we're starting to see the market treated less of a commodity as it was in 2019 or so, and much more as hard tech, which I think is a much more appropriate place for it to trade in. Right. Um, and there's a question, you know, if we can get into the whole discussion of, um, you know, reshoring and the fact that, you know, semiconductor chips are extremely valuable strategic assets, you know, there's also the discussion of it being a very cyclical industry. So in 2020, the 2020 created a really unique spot for semi companies in the sense that um, people were working from home, so the, the demand for PCs and demand for new iPhones, you know, the the, the expenditure on experiences and services went down, but the expenditure on things went up. So you're buying laptops, you're buying phones, you're buying uh, TVs, you're buying a new fridge that has chips in it, right. things like that. So there was this enormous demand pulled forward in 2020 in the semiconductor space. People were seeing, you know, you'll see it from uh, in Apple quarterly earnings transcripts, you'll see it in Samsung quarterly earnings transcripts, things like that. Um, so what happens, you brought all this capacity onto the market in a, in a pretty unique time. And now we're heading into a time now where we're starting to see a lot of this demand fade. So whether that be um, in cons- hard consumer, consumer durables like fridge, fridges and washing machines and heaters and things like that. And also we're starting to see a little bit of slowdown in electronics goods. Uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Best Buy released a quarterly report the other day talking talking about uh, a poor outlook for demand for PCs and things like that. So I do think there's going to be a really good buying opportunity at some point. Maybe it's today for semis. Um, right. But you know, if you can if you can kind of see where you are in the cycle and find a good place, uh, a good name and a good valuation, I think there's a really good. Um, there's some really good upside in that sector. Yeah, I mean, I'd almost venture to say that dollar cost averaging into any semiconductor or cybersecurity-based firm is is a good idea for the next decade, right? Because we're always yeah. we're like we we've been talking about for the majority of this this episode, we've been talking about AI, we've been talking about the metaverse, we've been talking crypto, like 
the the demand is it's never going to go away for these chips. So that there's really just unlimited upside for this, especially with the companies that already have it figured out and they have their growth figured out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we noticed a massive demand shock to it. So th- that's going to cause people to now overinvest into those industries. And that will provide nothing but upside for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, I mean, we'd hope so. So I, I guess uh, just thinking about you know, the, the cycle as a whole in terms of uh, semiconductors. Um, you know, in 2020 as well, with this, this initiative to, to bring all the, the chips back onto, um, not, not all the chips, but to bring a lot of the, the capacity, the capacity to produce more chips back onto U.S. soil. Needed. And so, <laughs> absolutely, I think it's, it's, it's something that the pandemic revealed to us that our, you know, our manufacturing capabilities are not where they really should be. Yeah, um, manufacture the chips and get some homegrown goods. Like let's <laughs> let's get all of our food and agriculture just back on U.S. soil and control our supply chain. Because I mean, they, they, there's going to be bad actors out there, no, no matter how long we're here, right? Like, we're always going to yeah. have China up in the air. Putin, who's going to be his successor, right? Like we're we're always going to have some chippy world relations. Let's just yeah. protect everything in house and, and make sure we have access to it. Same with energy. Energy is the economy. Energy is the same way. Yeah. yeah. No, energy security. Energy security. Energy security is national security. Right. Is, um, and then and then another another quote I thought was really interesting. I heard the other day was from Dwight Eisenhower, who is the father of the, uh, the national highway system. The infrastructure went to wars. Um, hmm. And so, not we're obviously not at war right now, thank God. Right. Albeit, um, there are wars in other parts of the countries, in other parts of the world, rather. Um, but again, you know, if shit were to ever hit the fan, infrastructure wins wars. And I guess you're kind of seeing that in Ukraine and in Russia right now. Um, but ultimately, I think that the idea where an improved American infrastructure will be a very bullish thing for the economy over the next 20 years or so. Right, and, and for just the nation as a whole. <laughs> right? Yeah. Being able to transport things coast to coast is something we need to be able to do efficiently, and that's to your point of the railroads. You know, like we, should, yeah. we should have those built out, and we should be reinvesting in that to improve that infrastructure layer of the economy. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's rip into the next one. Let's hear it. Aliens. Are they real? <laughs> yes. Y- yeah? Um, thesis behind that. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Um, thesis behind it, uh, numbers again. You know, um, the solar system's pretty damn big. Uh, we don't have anything to see in the entire... Um, get it, see, like, uh, probably maybe 1% of it. I don't even know how, if we know how big the solar system is. I'm not an astronomer from that element, but um, I, I do... I just think that, you know... Especially things we've seen recently, Pentagon has released videos of aliens. Right. Um, it's something to be, you know, cautiously optimistic about because obviously it's cool that there's other worlds out there, but also again, uh, I've read to it sci-fi to, to, to go into this thinking, oh, you know, they're going to come here and we're going to be great friends, we're going to go great. It's always <laughs> negative. It's always negative. It's like aliens come here and they just take over the world, or like we discover them and like all of a sudden we got probes up our asses. It's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I do agree with you. It's it's the numbers game. I, 
my uh, my my guilty pleasure is is space. Like I just fucking love it. My uh, my college roommate, my freshman year, was a uh, he was an astrophysicist. So I would just sit in the yeah, I'd be asking this guy all the questions. I would throw on um, shit. What was the show that was narrated by Neil deGrasse Tyson? Cosmos. Yeah. I would throw on Cosmos and just have this guy sit there and just spit space facts at me. I'm like, huh. So 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 we're in a galaxy and you know within our galaxy is a solar system, right? We're in the we're in this solar system and there's billions of solar systems. Right? So it's like, okay, and, and there's billions of planets within this solar system. Like okay, that yeah, that, I'm gonna hit the numbers game with that, and you know maybe maybe one star in those billions of different solar systems is surrounded by a planet where something happened, just like it happened here, billions of years ago, right? Like the solar, or the universe is what eight billion years old. That Earth, I think that, yeah, the Earth's about eight, eight, eight billion years old. Earth is two billion years old. So if you think about, (laughs) right? (laughs) But like, if you think about what's going on here, and it's the whole universe is eight billion years. Like, probably something like this has happened before, leading up to six billion years into the the inception of the universe. So, I love that question. It's always fun hearing people's uh, response. Because it's, yeah. it's, it's such a good topic with people. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we, we could do an entire podcast episode about aliens, honestly. I, I could probably talk to you a lot way too much about that. Right. Um. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll end to the next one. Uh, book recommendation. Sure. Book recommendation. I, I, okay, so um, I was listening to your, your last episode, and I was thinking of books I should be prepared for. Um, I mean, since we talked about it on the podcast, I think people, if you're into the metaverse and you like kind of sci-fi stuff, I'd highly recommend uh, diving into Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Snow Crash. Um, he, Snow Crash, um, and that's that was that's the book that you know Zuckerberg himself was you know credited um, Stevenson with. The name metaverse is like yeah you know the, the term the, the term metaverse was first coined in 92 by this guy neil stevenson talking about a a virtual or a, a digital environment in which people have personable experiences and had a sub-economy within that that certain digital world if you will right um it's a pretty dark book but i highly recommend it what's the uh what's the author's name neil stevenson neil spelled n-e-a-l Genius Failed by Roger Lowenstein. It's the story of 
the collapse of long-term capital management. Um, and just for reference, well, long-term capital management was a quant. It was one of the very first quant funds, pioneered by a handful of guys, computer scientists, um, who effectively said, "Hey, we could use AI and use kind of algorithms to to generate returns that you know, that the market's never seen before." You know, right. And they, they had these very elaborate arbitrage strategies where you know they'd be buying bonds, selling bonds over the course of a millisecond, things like that. Um, and I, this, this was, you know, these guys were true pioneers in the, um, in the in the quant arena, if you will. But what happened was that the entire fund blew up, like probably two or three years into it, into it in its existence. I think it was actually four years, um, because there's too much. I guess like they call them black swan events, if you want to borrow the, the sem to lab. Um, Terminology. There are just too many black swan events for the fund to keep in mind, and the fund blew up because they said, you know, we're just following the computer. Right. And what happened is this was late late nineties. So what happened was the Russian Russian default crisis. The Russian government defaulted on its debt, and then consequently you had the Thai bot crisis, where the government of Thailand devalued their currency by about half, I think, fifty percent. So you had all of these, and I think this was the beginning of the, uh, of the towards the, the beginning of the, of the tech boom as well. So there was just a lot of really weird emotions being flown around, a lot of really, I guess, you know, unexpected events, and the fund just had no response for it. They said, you know, no, this is a anomaly. You know, we prepare for this, but you know, this, this shit happens, and it just kept going, and they blew up. Right. So, so going back to traded uh, itself into submission. <laughs> exactly. You know. So go, just kind of want to highlight that as one of the earlier points of you know having uh, having a process in place first and foremost, and also being able to being willing and able to change your mind when new information is presented to you. Right. I think is an extremely extremely valuable skill. Yeah, it's like what we were talking about with having having the bot and then having the human edge still with the imagination, yeah. right? You can't program that yet. <laughs> All right, uh, next one. Yeah, so. <laughs> next one, let's hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, words of wisdom for the younger generation. Oh, um, younger generation, this, this being like college Ta- kids or? I'd say talking to like, uh, like high schoolers. I think that that's okay. a good place to put it. Uh, if I'm talking to high schoolers, I, I try to push them in the direction of learning about computers. Um, I think if you know how to learn, if you know how a computer works, if you know how it functions, you know how to get a computer to do what you want to do, yeah. um, whether that be through code or whatever it might be, um, that's such a really, really valuable skill. I and mean, you can transpose those skills into virtually any other you want, want to. Um, I'm a bit behind on that. I'm on the reverse. I have a finance degree, or sorry, economics degree, um, uh, finance-focused job, and then I have picked up uh, some interest in programming and development as well um, since I've, I've been working. I'm now trying to retrofit those skills onto my uh, my skills in the financial services world. So I wouldn't say you're behind on it, right? You're always you always need the human touch, man. We keep harping on it, right? Like you gotta understand <laughs> we're still a human run world. But yeah. I, I I don't understand your point, right? Like you you need to understand these things because I, I fuck. 
who said the quote? It was like, we're, we're, the, uh, we're the sex organs of the computer world. Right? So it's like, we are basically just repopulating to improve the machines. It's, it's an interesting That's take wild. on it. <laughs> but kind of creepy. That is interesting. <laughs> no, but I think I don't think it's wrong. That's the yeah. part. Um, the sex organs of yeah. the machine world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'd suggest if you're if you're in high school or around that age, um, pursue computers. Try to learn how to code. Try to learn how a computer works. Um, and then see what we we can what you like from there. And, Try to apply that knowledge into that. Um, right. Yeah, it's a good base layer of uh, knowledge to have. You can kind of yeah, take it in any different places. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, next one. One person you think I should have on the podcast? Could be one any person. of the wolves, anyone in your, uh, in your network. Sure. It could be any famous uh, person. <laughs> Anyway. No, I mean, I, 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 I'd love to see the rest of the world on here. I think, um, again, we've stuck this offline, but you know, everyone's got a really cool story to tell. Everyone's kind of working on some cool projects. And I think there's opportunities for people to work together um, in any sort of capacity. So um, I, I would love to hear, you know, the rest of uh, the rest of the wolves um, on the podcast. I guess externally, someone I think that um, your brother knows him from college as well. Um, but one of our friends, Cole, wants his own project, uh, Volmex, which is, is oh. geared towards being a... Uh, yeah, Canelli. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he, he launched Volmex as an Ethereum volatility token. Right. I believe they're in, in Bitcoin as well. Um, so I, I think that's a really cool... I think it's a really cool protocol. I think he's a really bright guy. And he's been around the space for so long that, you know, you really get to you get a really unique experience in Cole. Um, and he's always really fun to talk to. So I think that he'd be a great guest to have on the, on the pod. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's, I've talked to him before. He's just a freaking gigabrain. You can tell. Like, with the way he communicates, yeah. it's just, all right, you're wicked smart. Probably on another le technical level than I am, but... You know, you're, he's definitely got something good going over there with Volmex. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's literally, yeah. it's the VIX. It's just for Ethereum, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think there's enormous applications for that and enormous demand for something like that. So, um, yeah. again, you know, Cole, Cole got me into crypto to begin with. So I think, uh, you know, I, I owe a lot to him for that. So Yeah, yeah it's definitely a good one. Um, all right, I think we're good here then. Cool. Appreciate you for uh, for hopping on, taking the time, being one of the first ones to uh, do this. Of course, no, I'm happy to do it, and uh, hopefully it comes out well. Man, thank you again for inviting me on. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime soon for sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah.